Warren Buffett talks a lot about not uh, not losing equity, uh, not losing your your principal, and just kind of compounding very slowly over time. I mean, he's got a whole there's a whole book written on him um, with the word snowball in the title, and so it's all about just building a big snowball, kind of pushing it down the hill, and that's the same approach I have. So I'm not really the kind where I try to hit a home run on every deal. You know, I like to hit, let's say doubles basically where, uh, way, you know, a really strong deal for the risks involved, but I'm not the one taking the biggest risks out there. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth, but why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of the Brenneman Blueprint today. Today's episode is for passive investors and I guess sponsors who want to know what red flags they might be uh, putting up out there on their deals. But really thinking about all the passive investors today and really what, um, you know, difficult market out there, you know, to make deals pencil. Uh, So a lot of folks starting to push their underwriting and just want to just thinking about red flags to be looking out for uh, in underwriting. So really like any deal when you're underwriting it, like the return projections are really sensitive to uh, two things in particular. You know, I'd say rent growth and the exit cap rate assumptions, even like small changes to these, like they make a big difference to the returns. And anything that uh, like a sponsor is assuming or underwriting, they should have really good support for. Um, so I guess, first of all, like rent growth, like pay special attention there, you know, different markets, rents grow differently. Um, you, you'd expect rents to grow, f- you know, a little differently, maybe in, uh, Michigan versus Texas, for example, you know, it's a little, a little bit better environment in Texas for rents growing, but you know, um, what, what's normal, what's kind of market, you know, typically what would be normal is underwriting rents growing at, at 3% a year. You know, if it's another, if it's a rapidly growing market, I mean, some folks, you'll see them put down 4% um, percent a year. So, uh, and really 3% has sort of been the long-term historical average across the country. Um, you know, it's, if you're doing, if you're seeing a different percentage than that, uh, in you, in a deal you're looking at investing, you should definitely ask the sponsor about that. And, you know, maybe that's the, what they're using is the long-term average for that market, or that's what Yardi or their in-house, you know, uh, research is showing, or like, we'll find out what their support is. And if it makes sense to you, then I, I'd say that's fine. But more, more likely than not, when you start digging in, if you see rent growth, that's not 3% or, or less, you know, there's some, some issue there. So, um, uh, that's that's thought number one, you know, and rent growth makes a huge difference. You know, if you were to change on a deal, the rent growth from, let's say, three percent to two and a half, 
odds are the the deal doesn't make sense to do, believe it or not, assuming the two and a half percent rent growth. These deals are that return sensitive. So it's uh, it's a tough market out there, whether it's good times or bad to make deals work, very competitive. And um, that small change makes a big difference. So um, I'd say one other thing that is important along with the rent growth and uh, is, is expense growth. You know, typically um, you want to see the expenses, the expense growth matching the rent growth. Uh, unless again, there's another there's really a reason for it. You know, let's say in a deal in Chicago that I would underwrite, I would underwrite the taxes totally differently where we're going to look at what's the reassessment year. When does that hit uh, and and move the taxes up a lot more than 3% when that happens. And then from there, we're going to grow them by more than 3% as well because of the tax environment. So the deals have to just overcome that uh, higher expense growth or, do, or it doesn't make sense to do. So, um, that'd be the first thing I'd be looking at. And in today's times, you know, ideally what would make sense is, uh, you know, rents are not growing very fast right now. So in a lot of markets, they're not, they're not even going to get 3% rent growth the next 12 months. A lot of markets could see rent decreases. So, um, keep that in mind where, you know, ideally, you know, if someone is doing a deal and they're gonna, um, they're moving the rents up to like a new rent that's aggressive, let's say. Uh, maybe they should be assuming 0% rent growth in that first year. So um, that's the first thing I'd be looking at. And then the next thing is is really just the rent levels. You know, like I'm saying, if this is a deal where they're going to renovate it and then rent the units out for a new, un- new unproven amount, um, you know, you really should dig into how did they uh, come up with those numbers. So you're going to want to see a really exhaustive market study and that when they went to the surrounding properties that were similar to the level they're going to bring this property up to, that those rents are being attained and ideally attained and then some at the others, because uh, there is some element of risk here where if the market's dropping or the market's moving, by the time your investment is delivering those units, maybe their rental market's in a different place. So um, rent levels would be the second thing I'd say to dig into. You know, even small changes in rent levels can have a huge impact on the investment's projected returns. So um, again, dig, get an actual market study and what does that look like? Um, I mean, most people I see, they, they'll they make like a spreadsheet of the comps. They're going on Zillow, Redfin, all these websites, then they're uh, making a, a list of all the comps, ideally with links that you can click on and see them. Uh, and then some people I've seen them run linear regressions, which is a statistical analysis uh, of all the different uh, rent comps and then seeing how far uh, from that line of best fit are all these uh, different comps and the building where you're looking at. Um, and then the best way, uh, I should say, in the way we do this, uh, we do linear regressions and go on Zillow and all that too. But the best way to go and really get the real rents is to go to the properties. So Uh, dozens of times a year, someone from our company is pretending to be a renter at the competing properties for deals we're looking at buying. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to a building and said, I'm looking for uh, a one bed, maybe a two bed, you know, I'm not really sure. And and just try to, and just saw everything they had for rent. Cause once you get there in person, a lot of the times what's on the website is inaccurate info. It's uh, old news for good or for bad. Maybe the rents are higher. Maybe they had to cut the rent or there's a special that they're running once people get there in person. 
that then you hear about, um, or there's additional fees that weren't on the website that then make that rent that you saw on the website actually lower, uh, or sorry, actually be higher all in. So let's say you go to a place, it's a $1,500 rent, but when you get there, they have a mandatory amenity package you have to buy and utility fee and all this other stuff that when you start looking at it, it's like, oh, the rents are really more like a true $1,600 rent. And I maybe I'll implement some of these same programs now that I'm seeing what others are doing in the market. So rent levels, you know, that stuff's easy to check. Uh, you know, that like it's hard, uh, like rent growth, seeing that that's not a crazy percentages where we're assuming you know, 8%, 9%, you know, the first couple of years, uh, for whatever reason. And that's easy to check. And then also doing a little homework on, um, okay, they're saying they can get this for rents and just going on Zillow yourself, you know, too, and saying like, if I was a renter, would I live at this property and pay this kind of number? Uh, that's kind of easy to do. The next, some of the other stuff we're going to get into, not, uh, not quite as easy, but it's still worth mentioning. Um, or actually it's easy to do some quick checks, uh, I'd say. So exit cap rate would be the third thing I'd say to dig into. Um, as a passive investor, it's going to be hard to say, oh, this deal should sell at uh, this cap rate. You know, if you had that kind of knowledge, you're probably more on the uh, sponsor side. Uh, unless you've seen a lot, you've been seeing a lot of deals and you can say, hey, I've invested in five deals in this city recently and I know what all those cap rates were and this one is way different. If, if you're in that position, sure, that's great. More power to you. But assuming you're not, what I'd recommend you do is just make sure that they're trending their cap rate up. Uh, and what that means is uh, every year they're increasing their cap rate when they sell. So if they buy it and it was purchased at a 5.0 cap rate, when you see them go sell it in year five, you want to see them selling for a 5.25 or 5.5% cap rate. What I'm doing is I'm adding five to 10 basis points uh, onto that cap rate per year. Uh, and so um, then the other thing you want to do is you want to see what you want to do this from their stabilized cap rate. So let's say they're buying a deal in, on the trailing 12 financials or, or day one, however they're presenting the numbers. This example I have is a 4.5% cap rate, but when they reset the rents to market, it's like they bought it at a five cap. Uh, so then the sponsor might say, I'm changing my cap rate from a four and a half where I bought it to a five cap when I sell. Let's say if they're doing that, then I would look and I'd go, okay, well, actually, once you get the rents moved to market, you bought it at a five cap. So then assuming you sell it at a 5.0 cap, you didn't trend your cap rate up. You're assuming the cap rate that you bought it for is the same as you're going to sell it for. And all sophisticated investors, they increase their cap rate on the exit to allow some room for when interest rates go up or uncertainty in the market, uh, just have an extra cushion in their underwriting. So I'd want to, on every deal, you want to be looking for trending up your cap rate uh, and doing and looking at the stabilized cap rate when you look at are they trending it up or not because there's been a lot of value add deals that were bought at low cap rates so they could say we're increasing the cap rate a lot but once they re really dig in they didn't increase the cap rate much so that's i'd say you know um you know big thing and that in you the trending of the cap rate is really where uh in the f it's it's kind of to build in some cushion on the exit but even it's 
you could even say it's like the property is not going to be as nice as it is today when you go sell it, where let's say it's a 10 year hold and you bought a five year old building. When you go sell it, it's a 15 year old property. Well, a lot of air conditioners, furnaces, water heaters, et cetera, those last 10 years. So when you go sell in year 15, people will be looking at it and going, wow, a lot of these water heaters should have been changed five years ago. Uh, this this is an old, this property feels kind of old now compared to the five-year-old property that seemed like it was brand new when you bought it. So a lot of, so trending up the cap rate is just good underwriting, but also sometimes in the real world, it actually plays out as well because what you're selling isn't, isn't as desirable. So, and that, that works for commercial properties too. Um, if you think about those, potentially you might have less lease term or again, it's older property could have deferred maintenance, um, as things start creeping up on you. So, and then what, what number am I on this rent growth, rent levels, exit cap rate. So the fourth thing I'd be thinking about is the construction or redevelopment or lease up period. So this, this is more just going to be like a common sense thing, or I could give you a rule of thumb now too, but it's when you look at the deal, is there no like time cushions built in? Like, let's say it's a construction deal. It's a rent, it's brand new development. And you look at the prof, the underwriting and it takes two years to build. And then immediately it's leased. Well, that's a red flag. You can't just poof, lease up a hundred apartments in a, in one second. You need time for that to happen. So then you're going to, you're going to have, um, you know, a lease up period. And so you, you need to make sure that they have enough cushion built in, whether it's a new development deal or a renovation deal. You know, I'd say, uh, even if a sponsor is really great at executing, I'd say probably if I just had to throw out a timeline, like what would I want to see in an underwriting on a unit you're renovating, I'd say three months vacancy, you know, one month to renovate it. Uh, you know, ideally you're renting it out while, um, while you're renovating it and then you're done. We've done a ton of those, especially in Chicago where we've been able to pre-lease things. Um, where units have been down for just a month to do a renovation. But in a lot of places, units rent slower or people are looking further ahead of time uh, or you hit delays with materials and supplies. So I'd say if I was an investor looking at a performa, I'd assume three months of downtime. You know, realistically, how it probably plays out is, you know, the renovation's done in a month or two and then it rents in a month or two. You know, there's some, those are big ranges, but it's, that's, uh, they're going to face delays somewhere, whether it's in the construction materials, getting the work started, leasing, um, asking a rent that's too high initially, then the unit sits empty, sits empty for a month and then, then they cut the price and then it rents out. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of, you want to have a lot of time built in, um, on those pro formas, whether it's a redevelopment deal, uh, you know, value add construction deal, just a brand new building you're buying, you're leasing up. You want to make sure you see enough uh, enough time in there because uh, that's that costs real money. Where if they don't have enough time um, factored in, there's going to be a capital call because they didn't they didn't raise enough money to cover those carrying costs while the building was empty or partially empty. So um, just another thing to think about where if um, you're thinking you might be getting cash flow in two years in this development deal, well, maybe it'll take them, you know, they say it takes two years to build. Maybe it'll take them two and a half and then another six to nine months before they're at a break even occupancy. So um, 
you know, ask about the timeline and see if it makes sense to you. Uh, really, it's, the timeline depends on how complex the project is, how big it is. It's hard just to say a, it should take this long. Um, so then other other red flags that I'm seeing are, you know, purchasing at or above replacement costs. You know, that's something to, to think about, too, where um, this is hard to peg if you're a uh, if you're a passive investor, what does it cost to rebuild this building that you're acquiring? Uh, so I would just ask the sponsor that and see if you think they are giving a high quality answer or not. Uh, and how that plays a, a factor um, is supply. So if you have a building and it's in a market where you're buying a 20 year old building, let's say for more money than it costs to build a brand new one, you better believe there's going to be a lot of new supply coming developers will realize they can profitably build more units there or more more what square footage if we're talking commercial and they'll be coming with with more more supply and that's going to be a big headwind for you so you want to be asking about that and factoring that in um and then because that generally speaking properties should not be trading at above the replacement cost you know there's just gonna be so much new stuff built that'll keep a ceiling on prices uh, and then also asking about the debt terms, you know, a lot of times you'll get a deal sent out and the debt terms are not final. It's just like the initial um, quotes they have. And in today's times, the debt markets are very fluid, very, very choppy, very difficult. And so, um, you know, you want to make sure when you're agreeing to invest in the deal that you've looked at the final debt terms where maybe on the initial quote, it looks good then they get a worse debt quote and you know you've already committed you're paying less attention you want to make sure you're looking at the final deal terms these this is the price and everything after the physical inspections done and the final debt terms are in so i'm a big i'm very analytical so that's what i look for numbers wise i mean there's a lot of other things people uh look for beyond the numbers you know obviously real estate location 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 uh, I'm sure you've all heard that before. And, you know, if you just think about the location from a, a common sense standpoint, really, if this is a, uh, let's say a student housing deal and it's not on campus and you got to, it's far away. I mean, it's adding more risk to it or it's a retail deal and you look at it and across the street or at a different intersection, there's a Walmart and a Target and a lot of action. And then the building you're potentially investing in seems like in the area that's dying out, like follow your gut on that. You can assess the location pretty well just using common sense. And that's something that I myself really try to focus in on. It's it's very easy to get lost in these spreadsheets and just kind of, it's not analysis paralysis almost. It's just sort of like you get lost in the minutiae and you forget what you're actually doing. You're buying a piece of property and um, the physical condition, the curb appeal, the actual location, that kind of stuff really matters. So because if you're a potential renter, uh, you know, I do apartments primarily. And so um, if your building just is in a bad spot, people don't want to be in or just something with it that's turning off the renters like that's going to affect your deal. And maybe it's not fully in the numbers. So. Think about the location, um, you know, and then that's not a complicated thing to do. Is there, what are the negatives of the area? What are the amenities? You know, 
crime, noise, pollution? Is your office building or apartment building right next to a recycling facility that looks like junk? Uh, then, you know, think about that. And um, or are you surrounded by class A office buildings or institutionally owned apartment buildings? Like then that's a different different deal as well. So another thing to think about is just the overall function of the property. So let's say in apartments, let's say you're investing in a deal and their whole plan is to renovate the building, raise the rents. But every picture you look at, the ceilings look really low or the unit mix is it's a bad unit mix. You think about it yourself. Like I don't, I wouldn't live in actually, I don't know if you wouldn't live in it. That's not the best marker. You're investing in real estate passively with excess, uh, investment funds you have. So that's not, you're probably not the right demo for the renter, but think about the functional use of the property. Let's say all the units are three bed, one bass with eight foot ceilings. That's going to be a tougher property. You know, it's you can renovate it all you want, but you still only have one bathroom in those units and you still have low ceilings. So that's something to think about um, that is easy to um, easy to assess. So, um, you know, as well, you can do that with the interior. That was an interior example. You can do that with the exterior as well. You know, as the, there's not enough parking for the amount of units you have or just looks like it's um something's up with the exterior that's off-putting like do you factor that in this episode is brought to you by brenneman capital the firm i started to help others invest in real estate we invest in multifamily assets that meet our very strict criteria in locations positioned for the most growth we use institutional quality investment models and processes and combine that with old school hustle to generate superior risk-adjusted returns for our investors Invest now or learn more at Brenneman.com. I think other things to think about, you know, really uh, have to do come down more to the sponsor, I'd say. So you've assessed the numbers and some of these basic things like location and function. Um, I'd say, you know, the rest comes down to the sponsor, which I think that's for another episode, like how to evaluate a sponsor. This is how to look at a deal. So this is assuming you like the sponsor and uh you're just trying to decide like is this deal for you you want to see did they push the underwriting too much or what could i assess with this property so i'd say start here you're not gonna be able to understand everything so you're gonna have to trust your sponsor and have gone through the proper sponsorship evaluation and then this is just kind of basic stuff like checking if the assumptions are pushed too much or not you know and this is this is where i'd start and then from there i would um you know, be checking the sponsor if I hadn't already done that. And then I guess the last thing I think about um, potentially is just um, what do I think of the the business plan? So you have this, the sponsor and all these things that I said, and then two, does this, this, the overall risk of this, you know, what, what am I getting myself into? Maybe my projected returns are 18% a year, but to really know if that's good or bad, you got to think about the risks involved. You know, if you're going to buy an empty shopping center and rebuild the thing and wait for new tenants and do all this stuff, that might not be enough of a return for that risk. What if you don't find those tenants or the rents are lower than you think? Your 18 could turn into a loss pretty fast. Um, or not pretty fast, but could turn into a loss, let's say. And then 
Whereas maybe on this apartment deal, it's a very simple plan. You are able to do the things I said. You look, they're trending up their cap rate. You go on Zillow and it seems like they could almost be charging more uh, for it, uh, for rents. And the two, you know, they're doing 3% a year rent and expense growth. And the unit mix is one bed, one bass and two bed, two bass. And everything looks good. Uh, you know, well, accept the lower return for that. That's a safer deal. And personally, I'd much rather be in something like that and sort of staying in the game versus having something where your equity would get wiped out on a really risky deal. You know, Warren Buffett talks a lot about not uh, not losing equity, uh, not losing your, your principal and just kind of compounding very slowly over time. I mean, he's got a whole there's a whole book written on him um, with the word snowball in the title. And so it's all about just building a big snowball, kind of pushing it down the hill. And that's the same approach I have. So I'm not really the kind where I try to hit a home run on every deal. You know, I like to hit, let's say, doubles basically where uh, way, you know, a really strong deal for the risks involved. But I'm not the one taking the biggest risks out there. So. This is what I'd be looking at for red flags on the deal and uh, on uh, underwriting and just physically with the property. So uh, if you want to see more info like this, I definitely recommend checking out our website. You know, we talk about it in the outro uh, on every episode, but specifically in the passive investing guidebook we have, uh, we're covering topics like this. This is in the guidebook, for example. Um I don't know if in, in basically this much detail too. So this just could have just been read out of the guidebook uh, if, if you would have liked. So if you want to read, read through this or find other topics like this and uh, learn more about investing in real estate passively, go to our website, brenneman.com. Brenneman.com slash downloads is where all the downloads like our passive investing guidebook and other resources are. Uh, also on our blog, we have articles like this. We have one where I think it was the five red flags to look for. Um, so you can check out that on our website. So as always, appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. And we'll see you on the next episode. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.